love good singing, congregational singing, and uh, was blessed by that. Yes, I did know Cliff's parents before he did, quite a while. And so, uh, yeah, it's good to, uh, to see my friends' families growing up and uh, being used in the congregation, such a blessing. Uh, one of the brothers in the back, and I forget his name now, and uh, I feel like my, my time here only this morning and this evening is a bit short to learn to know very many of you, and I, uh, I wish I would know more of you, but one of the brothers made the comment, he said, uh, if you are Mel's friend, then you are all of our friend. I thought that was a pretty powerful statement. And I, I, I bless Brother Mel for that. Um, thank you, Mel, for that introduction. Yes, we have been friends for a long time. There were times when there were a number of years went by that we did not see each other, but it's kind of like those friends that you could just pick up where you left off. And uh, I'm blessed by that. Yeah, 45 years ago at Calvary Bible School, I'm not, I'm not so sure, Mel, if I was really suspicious about you Packway boys. Maybe I was intimidated. I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe that's what it was. Anyway, we became friends. And uh, yeah, one of, one, of those, uh, one of those four boys that I learned to know here from Packway uh, is not living anymore. Uh, Mel Stoltz was married to Sarah Flood, I believe. And uh, yeah, I'm sorry for that. Yeah, I, it's good to be here this morning. Enjoyed the time yesterday with Mel and Jean. My wife was with Jean a good part of the day as well, and got a tour of his farm, and just, I don't know, it was just a really good time. And, uh, you know, we do bring, your, bring greetings from Sharon Bethel in Kelowna, Iowa, and uh, Granted, I, before you get the idea that that's just right on the West Coast, it's not. Uh, we are very much closer to you guys than what we are to the West Coast. In fact, almost only half as far in here as it is. So just, just to give you a, a perspective from that, Sharon Bethel Congregation is, uh, is my home congregation, has been for my entire life. I, I never attended another church and um, had the blessing of being carried in that church house by my parents as a baby. And uh, yes, that's a few years ago. And uh, if you know how old Mel is, that's where I'm at. And uh, truly God has been good to us. I've served in the ministry there for 33 years and uh, was ordained as a bishop there 31 years ago this month. Carolyn, my wife of 42 years, is here with me this weekend. I, I don't like to go anywhere ministering without having her with me. And uh, she's been a very dear part of my life. We have four children, seven grandchildren. And uh, possibly of interest to some of you here, our four children came into our home, our two sons and our two daughters came into our home through the avenue of fostering and adopting. And uh, blessing that uh, they have been to us, and uh, we are very much enjoying our grandchildren. Our children are ages 20, 26 to 35 presently. I feel a bit of, like a stranger here this morning, in spite of knowing Mel and Jean, Ben and Regina, um, Floyd and Marilyn, also Brother Jonathan as your former bishop here. I've known him for a lot of years. Uh, heard messages from him at our ministers' meetings over the years. And then also uh, would know uh, John and Barb Glick that are here as well. Uh, going back to some Gap View days many years ago when I had meetings there. This ordination carries a, a special significance, uh, may I say, to Mel and Jean. 30 years serving in this role here. And I want to bless the four couples. I, I wish I would know you four couples this morning. I, I know I, I, I met Matt in our Sunday school class, but the rest of you, I'm not sure who you are. And uh, I bless you for your willingness to be used in this pro, uh, procedure, in this process of God choosing one of you this evening 
to carry out this very important role, and I bless you for that. Brother Mel uh, read my text scripture here and uh, that I gave to him, and I'm going to just have us look at this passage again this morning. Uh, 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 11, verse 2 says it this way. It says, Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. This passage here is uh, particularly speaking to leaders, to pastors, and uh, in, in feeding the flock, referring to... Uh, the, the church as the flock of God. And uh, interestingly, the scriptures give a lot of reference to us as being sheep. And uh, it is not by accident that it does that. And uh, it was mentioned a few moments ago that I'm a sheep man, and I am, uh, have been for, in fact, I had sheep just a little longer than I've had a wife. So it's been a long time already, 40-some years. And uh, I like my sheep even though at the, at the present I'm at looking at, uh, because of my age and other responsibilities, cutting back considerably. They are a lot of work. There's a lot of commitment, a lot of dedication. And, uh, you know, as I look at this passage here, he, he uses this term, feeding the flock, referring to us as the flock of God. As a shepherd, we are responsible for what we share in relation to the Word of God that it is the pure, unadulterated Word of God. And that is my goal this weekend here, is to share with you what God has laid in my heart, what God has given me a passion for. You know, this appeal is to leaders and pastors this morning, but I believe it's for all of us. You know, in any area of leadership as a father, um, those of you that teach Sunday school class here, give topics, devotionals, you know, I believe it's important that we feed and not just uh, occupy people's time, if I may say. It is important that the passion that we are to share is a passion that has already been in our heart. You know, I can speak to your heads from my head, but if I want to speak to your hearts, it needs to come from my heart. And that's my passion this morning. You know, to feed, to provide nourishment to the flock, to the brotherhood. The words shepherd, sheep, and lamb are used approximately 300 times in Scripture. And interestingly, about three years ago, I started a, a study and a, and a message series on sheep. I believe it ended up being about seven or eight messages. And uh, many of the parallels that uh, the scripture uses to us as God's flock and how our nature is so much, so often, so many of our responses are like sheep. And uh, there's a reason that that word is used in scripture. You know, here Peter gives the word picture of, of leaders or shepherds feeding the flock, the brotherhood. You know, as I mentioned a little bit ago, I've been in leadership for a few years, 33 to be exact. And um, I've also been a shepherd to, in the natural sense, to sheep for a lot of years. They have taught me so much about people. They have, they have, they have taught me a lot about life. You know, how they, they know my voice. They know who I am. And they will follow me where they would not follow someone else. You know, the scriptures say, the, the voice of a stranger they do not know. Now, I, I mentioned a little bit ago, I feel a little bit like a stranger here this morning. But I trust if what I'm sharing this morning is, is biblical truth from the word of God, then I'm not really a stranger to you. You know, they trust me, my sheep do. They follow me almost anywhere that I lead them. Yes, they know me. They know, they know my voice. They know my mannerism. They know my walk. I mean, they, they, just, they just know it's me. And uh, a number of years ago, you know, I was, uh, well, we, we, had, we had a couple from, uh, they were not from our congregation, but visiting from St. Louis were passing through, and we invited them to our house for lunch. 
And when it was time for me to do my chores, they were still there. They spent the whole afternoon with us, and I believe maybe into the evening, if I remember correctly. And, um, and I remember going out, and I told them I need to go out and do my chores. And uh, I went out to my sheep, and I grabbed some hay, I, a couple slices of hay, and I walked through the, through the gate into the yard there where my sheep were. And of course, as usual, they just all just kind of huddled around me and came up there, and you know, I could almost couldn't even walk. They just wanted to, they knew my presence meant they were going to get fed. And so uh, I was there scattering that hay in that feed bunk, and all of a sudden, they just scattered to the corner of the lot and stood there and looked back in fear. And then I turned around, and my friend had stepped inside the, do the gate. And you know, he grinned a little bit, and he seen what happened, and so he stepped back out. And as soon as he stepped back out, they were just right up around me again. You know, as I, as I parallel that, you know, someone else could, have, could try wearing my clothes, my boots, try to mimic me. You wouldn't fool them at all. Because they know who I am. Yes, they do. They know and believe that when I lead them from point A to point B, and rest assured, I've learned over 40 years ago, you don't chase them. If you want to confuse them and cause a chaos, you try to, you, you try to chase them. You know, how does that illustrate to the flock of God? I believe there's a very close correlation to that. But they know when I lead them from point A to point B, they follow me believing that I have their best interest in mind. They know that I'm probably leading them to a new pastor that has grown back, that is fresh now, that has not been grazed down for a while. And it takes very little convincing when I open that gate. I just stand back and they go right in because they know I have their best interest in mind. They know there's something they're waiting for them. You know, if I may bear my heart this morning, you know, to, to us as fathers, as pastors, as leaders, you know, it's not a mistake that the Bible refers to the church, the brotherhood, as the flock of God. And gives reference to us as, as shepherds, as leaders, even though Christ is the ultimate shepherd. And so, uh, you know, as Jesus refers to us as the sheep of his pasture, I just want to challenge us this morning. We're not working, we're not working with uh, cattle or pigs. You cannot chase sheep. I've tried it. Granted, I have. But it didn't take me long to learn that I was working with a different natured animal than what I had grown up in some of my younger years. May I say this morning that unbridled authority and control will always produce the same results. God is looking for leaders that are broken before him, that are humble, that are willing to share and to feed the flock in humility not only telling you where you're supposed to go and how you're supposed to do it, but being willing to walk the way before you and to show you how. That's what God is calling for today. That's what he wants here at Peckway. I know he does. You know, I don't know your leaders very well, even though I've known these men a number of years. I have not been here to Peckway for a long time. I think the last time I was here was with our youth chorus and where we, we were helping with that chorus a number of years ago, and I just remember Brother Jonathan seeing us off out on the, uh, ent beyond the entrance here on that morning with the bus. You know, I don't know your congregation very well, but I have confidence in, in the leaders that you have that I know. Brother Floyd was part of the team here as well. Men of God that I have confidence in this morning you know, the health of my flock is a high priority at home. And obviously, if I don't keep them healthy, it probably affects my pocketbook. You know, I have reason to, to try to keep them healthy. You know, their diet, 
The diet they receive is largely contingent upon what their shepherd provides for them. You know, I, I want to keep them healthy for more than one reason. Otherwise, sickness or poor performance is going to happen. You know, providing a very good water source is also very critical. And I'm going to go into, oh, there is a bottle of water right here. Thank you. Somebody was looking out for me. I was just going to ask for a bottle of water. You know, the question I asked this morning, and I don't, even, I don't ask you to even turn to this scripture, but Psalm 23, a lot of my study about sheep came out of a, a book entitled A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. Some of you have probably read that book. In Psalm 23, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It says, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. What was David trying to illustrate here? What, was he, what message was he trying to give as, a, uh, as the Lord being our shepherd? And when we have that shepherd, we're not going to have a lot of needs because he will supply those needs. That's what he's saying here. But there's two things that I believe he was portraying here, especially when he said to lie down. You know, lying down speaks of, of contentment or being full and feeling safe. My sheep will not let lie down if they are hungry or if they see danger. They will not lie down until they feel full and safe. And I believe there's a parallel that we can make to this this, this morning. Also, it's, it speaks of plenty. It speaks of needs being supplied. Coming back here to 1 Peter Chapter 5, verse 2. It says, Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a willing mind. How do we feed? You know, how do we feed the flock of God today? You know, I cannot feed my sheep with empty buckets. Now, granted, they know what the rattle of a bucket sounds like. And if when they see me, they expect that there's going to be something in there for them. But when that bucket's empty, it's pretty much useless. All it does is deceive them that I'm, it looks like I'm going to give them something, but there's nothing there. May I say this morning, it is imperative that we also must be filled if we are to feed. You know, God has... God does a work in our own hearts and gives us a passion for what we share. Or it must be so. It needs to be so. You know, if we have not partaken of what we are sharing with our congregations, then we don't have a lot to give if God hasn't first ministered to us. You know, we learn from each other. Yes, we do. And uh, I've been tremendously blessed by the service here this morning. Just the, the spirit that I sensed here. And again, that singing just blessed me tremendously. That one song, right now I'm almost at a, at a loss of, how does it go? It's one of the, one of the songs you led, Cliff. Uh, you are all to me. Oh, we just love that song. I mean, the message of that song, it just sends chills down my back. You are all to me. And I want to say this morning, if he is not all to us, we've got nothing to give. We have nothing to give. You know, the passion of the church. I believe it's so important. You know, to share a message, whether you are an elder or a pastor or a lay brother, whatever responsibility that you are given, you know, it's more than just finding a sermon title or a text passage. And then we... Uh, maybe page through a few study helps and get a few secondhand comments or statements. I'm not against study helps. I'm not. But it's more than that if we are to feed and then put together some formal outline and maybe expound on a few biblical facts or truths. It's more than that. Yes, it is. Unless that message has gotten a hold of our hearts and become a passion it will have limited feed value. It will just occupy your time. 
unless that message is a passion of our heart. And I know I'm probably speaking a bit more to the leaders here, but I believe it applies to all, all the brothers as well. You know, unless that message has, has gotten a hold of our heart, it has limited value, then I cannot speak to your hearts. I cannot allow that word to minister to you. You know, if I want this message to minister to your hearts, it must come from mine. Otherwise, it's like feeding some bleached or rained-on hay to my sheep. It's a filler. It kind of satisfies them halfways for the time. But they want nourishment. They want that good stuff that smells good, that tastes good. That's what they want. And they expect that from me. Now, once in a while, because of weather conditions or things that don't quite go the way I want them to, uh, I have to feed them some lesser quality stuff. And I always feel like I'm betraying them. You know, it's almost like they're looking at me and say, can't you do better than this? I mean, don't you have something better to feed me? Sometimes I don't. Sometimes that's the best I can do. But I usually try to try to step up on some of the other nutrients like the minerals and grain during that time to try to compensate or offset the lack of, of quality there. They want nourishment. Our people want nourishment today. They deserve to get nourishment. You know, if there's ever been a time in our conservative Anabaptist churches communities that we need leaders and pastors and elders who have a passion for God's word and a passion and may I say a compassion for the hurting among us those that are struggling those that are going down for the last time as it were do we have a passion to reach out to them do we have something to offer for them I want to tell you, brothers, this morning, this is not just a minister's job. All of us are sisters. If it's someone that is struggling, you know, if God has ministered to you and you have something to offer, yes, you do. You know, we need, we need leaders with passion today, a caring concern for the hurting and struggling among us, that we are more concerned about where they're going to end up at the end of the road than how, we make our church, how they make our church look today. May God help us in this. You know, there are hurting people. Yes, there are. We live in a hurting world, a world of pain. There's a lot of families hurting right now, including a, a few of our relatives, which involves a few of those that are being held hostage down there right now. My cousin's son and wife and two small children. Are we here for each other? It's not just what comes across this pulpit, but sometimes the loudest messages are preached as we go to someone and say, you know, I know you're struggling right now. I don't really know all what's going on, but I just want you to know. I want to be there for you. I want to care about you. It may be something that we haven't even personally experienced. So be it. You know, can we connect hearts? Do we care? Do we have something to give? A word of hope. Someone that has been up here, then down, then up, then down, and presently down again. And it's like, is it even worth it anymore? Until one of you reminds them that they do matter. We do care. We do care where you're going to end up at the end of the road. It goes on to say here, taking the oversight thereof not by constraint, but willingly. You know, not by compulsion. I'm not sure exactly what all that's saying here. It goes on to say, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. We don't do it for what's in it for us. No, we don't. You know, God has given us a calling to reach out, to be there for our people, to care about the needs of our people. You know, I think we have to remember that our churches we like our churches to look good, okay? But our churches are not intended to be showcases. 
But sometimes there are hospitals for those that are struggling, for those that are hurting, for those that are needing someone to reach out and to care. Well, let someone be you. You know, I, I just believe that a lot of that's happening right here from your leadership presently. I know the uh, Paul and Manny, I don't, I don't know these men very well at all. In fact, I just met them for the first time here. But as a part of this leadership team, I've got confidence that you've had some good mentors here. I'm convinced of that. You know, do we care about our people? Is our passion for our people way beyond what they are making us look like right now if they're struggling? If someone is just having a really tough time, it says here, verse 3, neither is being lords over God's heritage. I'm going to say abuse of authority and power is a scourge and a calamity of our day. And we've seen enough of it. Yes, we have. You know, we don't control our people and tell them what they have to do and what they can't do. But we lead the way so they want to follow. Who wants to follow someone that's not willing to lead the way? I was young once too. Yes, I was. You know, and God has taught me a lot of things in the last number of years especially. You know, we walk the way before you. We cannot, we cannot expect you to be okay and to believe what we have to say and to believe that it's the right thing for what we're telling you and asking you to do if, the, if you don't already see us walking that same road before you and being, being an ensample to the flock, Peter says here. That's what God is wanting us to do. We need to be examples, not just... It says, neither is being lords over God's heritage. We lead the way by example. Coming back to my sheep again, there's no other animal in God's creation that even comes close to depicting human nature as what sheep do. Now, it was not an accident that it's in Scripture the way it is. It took me a number of years to realize I'm not working with pigs or some other animal that you, you handle differently. I mean, sheep have, the, have this way of developing a relationship with a shepherd that they trust and believe in. One that, they're willing, that, that they are willing to, to follow because they know that shepherd has their best interest in mind more than his own reputation. And I say that with some feeling this morning. It took me a while to learn some of these things. But I think it's so important that we're willing to lead the way. You know, my sheep know me. They know my voice. They know my walk. Because they trust me. They know, now granted, once in a while I get a little upset at them. And I express a little anger to them and maybe treat them a little bit rough. And I always feel kind of bad about that. You know, I'm, I'm supposed to be their leader that they can follow, they can trust. But how much more in the church of God? You know, sometimes we don't get it right. Sometimes we make mistakes. Maybe sometimes we say things or our response isn't quite the way it should be. You know, may we be men of God that are willing to say, you know, I'm sorry, I didn't get that right. Because sometimes we do not. Sometimes we, make, we, we, we mess it up. We don't get it right all the time. That's why we need you as a body to speak into our lives as well. You know, this charge that's going to be given this evening to one of the brothers here is not going to eliminate all temptation or humanity from him. He's still going to have flesh and blood just like all of you, like these brethren do right here. Sometimes we get frustrated. Sometimes we get tempted. Sometimes we just feel like we just totally blew it. And yet, I am so grateful for a brotherhood back home that as I minister and feed them, they also minister to me. I, we need input from you as well. Yes, we do. You know, your lives speak to us. 
And I believe it needs to be that way. You know, we don't need any more leaders in our circles that are controlling or threatening. A controlling spirit produces fear. A servant heart produces trust, respect, and rest. And that is what God is looking for here at Peckway. That's what he wants to see in you as leaders, leaders in the church, leaders in your homes, whatever responsibility you have. He is looking for, for a servant heart. You see, authority, I don't even like the word, but authority is only safe when it is under authority. And there is only one authority that has ever existed that did not need to be under authority. And that's our almighty God. He, he has his own authority. You know, he has his own, his own principles, his own... Uh, he makes his own rules. He doesn't, he doesn't need anyone else. He needs no assistance, no counsel. The Bible talks about that. Who is, who's been his counselor? But every one of us, given a responsibility and a call from Almighty God, needs to be under his authority, or we're not going to do it right. Even, even in that respect, sometimes we'll get it wrong. And that's where being able to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, is language that every real man knows how to use because we don't get it right all the time. And I'm very passionate about that. You know, God is the only one that doesn't need to be, he is his own authority. Yes, he is. But he's safe. He has never changed. And uh, this morning, one of the, uh, the second song, no, wasn't, maybe it was the first one, Great is Thy Faithfulness. One of those phrases really caught my attention. I jotted it down. He said, not a shadow of turning with him. Not a shadow of turning. He doesn't change. I change not. God doesn't change. He has his own authority. And I believe the only way that we can properly feed the flock of God and minister, minister to you and be a blessing to you and show you a road that's worthy to walk is if we're under the authority of an almighty God. He has shown us the way. He gives us the way. We are not our own authority. No, we're not. You know, as I look at here at verse 4, it says, And the chief shepherd shall appear. It says, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. No, we don't do it just for an earthly crown. No, we don't. Verses 5 and 6 it says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. You know, humility is something that sometimes it, it takes a while to learn the value of. And, uh, you know, I've heard it said already, when you think you're humble, you're Probably not. You know, humility is one of the tools and the avenues of a man of God that God can use to minister, to share, to feed the flock. Humility is something I believe too often is forgotten. And it says, yea, all of you be subject, humble yourselves, Humility is a mandate for God to be able to use us. Yes, it is. King Saul was rejected for two reasons. You know, we think of his disobedience as being the reason he was rejected. But there was another reason. It was disobedience and pride were the two reasons that Saul could not be used by God anymore. What did Samuel come to Saul with? He said it this way. When thou wast little in thine own eyes, then God could do things with you. But it wasn't that way anymore. He knew how to do it. You know, a number of years ago in my ministry, probably a bit unknown to myself, I was finding myself kind of owning 
my position. I knew how to do things. I had done marriages and baptisms and funerals and, yeah, communion. I had done it many, many times. And there was some, there was some tough things that I needed to go through to realize that my calling, my ministry, is not about me. You know, I was taking ownership of it, maybe without realizing, realizing this was a call that God had given me. And I needed to be humbled. Even though I maybe didn't intentionally go down that road or wasn't aware of it, but some circumstances, some really tough things reminded me and some things that I had to open my hands and give it back to God. One of the greatest blessings as leaders that we can ever do is to realize it's not about us. And I learned that again over and over, especially a little over a year ago when, when we were getting ready for a baptism at our church. Maybe a few of you I might have shared this with. Uh, a year ago, it was the first weekend in October. We, we had a baptism scheduled in our church a baptism that I was really looking forward to, especially because there was a young girl in that class that we had, because of her, her home setting was a bit different, and we had, we had fought for her so hard, and she was, and just were rejoicing with her to come to this point. But God allowed something to again remind me that it's not about me. I was not able to be there. About five, six days earlier, I was... I was uh, tested positive for COVID. We also had a ordination planned that evening at New Hope, our sister church that we had started up two years earlier. I watched both of those services from a screen in my living room. Someone else took care of both of those services. You know, it was, it was again, a good reminder, it doesn't revolve around one person. I have co-ministers. I had a bishop friend from Leon, Monroe Gingrich, that came up and took care of the ordination. I was so blessed. Yeah, I shed a few tears that day. Rightfully so. But it was okay. We need each other. But I think it's so important that we remember that it doesn't revolve around me. Am I right, Ben? You know, we have co-ministers. We have others that have been called by God to help lead. You know, and sometimes they need to step in and do something that we're not able to do at the time. It goes on in verse 8, says, Be sober, be vigilant. And I'm just going to cha change the, the emphasis of this message a little bit here in the, in the last part of the message. It says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. I really believe we must be on guard. To properly feed the flock, we must also keep the flock safe. And I'd like to just maybe illustrate that just a little bit. You know, my sheep at home, not only am I responsible to feed them, I'm talking about the sheep out in the pasture, not only am I responsible to feed them and provide nourishment for them and to move them from pastor to pastor as they, as you know, when it gets low and they need more feed, I'm responsible for them, but also to provide a safe environment for them. I'm not one of the Middle East shepherds that is out there with a staff in his hand from morning till night or sleeps out there. I, I can't do that. I, I, I've got another life to live. I have other responsibilities. And there's not very many people in the U.S. that do that today. And I still commend those old shepherds from years ago. But to provide safety for them, I, I usually provide a secondary animal with my sheep, a llama or alpaca or something that, uh, that has the reputation of being able to ward off predators. I want them to be safe. I don't want something to happen to them. 
I had that happen one time. See, it was neighbor dogs at that time. That was before I had anything else in with them. And uh, I've never forgotten that experience. We must provide a safe environment for our flock in the church. Yes, we, we need to. And I believe it means that we need to guard our pulpits and to be on guard for deception, for teaching that is compromise, that maybe sounds almost right, but there's a little bit of a compromise twist to it. Let's remember, and maybe this is a crude illustration, but let's remember that the rat bait that we, do, that we try to kill rats and mice with is about 98% good tasting stuff. Nothing wrong with it, but it's got a little poison in it. It tastes good, it's appealing, that's why we go for it. You know, when somebody invented this stuff, they weren't dumb. They knew they have to make it appealing. If the whole thing would have tasted like the bad stuff in it, they probably wouldn't touch it. You know, it is important that we guard our pulpits, that we don't promote a watered-down gospel. Dear friends, this morning, we're not selling a cheap gospel. No, we're not. Because there is no real, there is no cheap gospel that is the real gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ cost Jesus his own blood. It cost him everything. Yes, it's a free gift. It's a paradox. It's a free gift to us today. But if we want to walk with the Lord, it's going to cost you everything. Discipleship, obedience, being willing to lay down our will for the sake of our brothers and to be able to walk the road that God has called us to walk. It's called having a new birth experience, not just an emotional experience, but it affects our feet, where we walk, where we go to. It affects the places we go, everything that we do. We're not selling a cheap gospel. Falsehood, deception, almost always ride, may I say, on the wings of some Christianity emphasis or, yeah, we believe in God. There's a lot of people today that claim a belief in an almighty God that are going to be going to hell because they're not born again. They're not walking the way of the disciple. We don't want to promote a cheap gospel here today. You don't want to hear it, Peckway. No, you don't. That's not what your ministers are doing. They are promoting a gospel. Yes, the price has been paid by blood, but it also calls for a life of discipleship, of obedience, of being willing to do the right things, even when our flesh doesn't feel like doing the right thing. We do it because it is the right thing, because God's word says it. That's why we do it. Almost every abominable thing or every abomination that exists today is being justified and flavored with some element of spirituality or Christian lingo or talk. Almost everything is. That's why it is so de deceptive today. You know, just because someone knows how to recognize the greatness of an almighty God and recognize that Jesus died for our sins, there's a price, yes, that he paid, but that we're expected to walk as well as a born-again believer. There's too much lingo, too much talk today, but no walk. That's the problem in our world today. And it has a tendency of coming in these walls. Yes, it does. At least it does in Iowa. And I trust you, you maybe struggle with that once in a while as well. I heard a, or I read, a, a news clip on this, this instrument that we carry with us here a few weeks ago that made me angry. And I know we use these things. They're very important to us. We, you know, you go down the road and if 
That's one thing you'll turn around and go back for, right? I forgot my phone. I gotta have it. But you know, I, I saw a news clip on here that I read the other day, and it made me just a bit angry. And I don't want to be judgmental and critical this morning, but there was this, uh, this Presbyterian woman pastor was uh, giving her viewpoint on the position of the uh, abortion law in Texas. And uh, very obviously she was opposing the, in her mind, the strict stipulations that were placed on that law. And uh, I soon could tell where she was going. And then she just said, and she very much claims to be a woman of faith, and she made this comment. She said, you know, I had, I had two abortions, but it was, a, it was a decision of my faith. I'm not going to say a whole lot more about that. As pastors and leaders today, we must believe the absolutes of God's word that are never going to change. There is no shadow of turning, and God is not, when what God said one time, that's what he means. It doesn't mean if all earth decides not to follow it anymore. That doesn't change it at all. You know, there's a few absolutes that I want to conclude with here this morning. You know, God created us as two opposite genders. Male and female. It is the, according to scripture and according to the authority of an almighty God that is the only formula that God is ever going to bless as a marriage. And that's male and female. That is not going to change. The only relationship God will ever bless. Secondly, this union is a covenant for life. And that's being challenged a lot today. Till death do us part, regardless, regardless what this relationship may bring to us, whether, whether it's ailing health and in some situations results in death. But it's not until the death of one of those partners that according to my Bible, is it right for someone to get married again. I'm not going to apologize for that this morning because I believe it's an absolute that will stand it's not a beachy or Anabaptist thing. This was established long before there were any of us. Okay? It is. The third one, and that is that every life, every human being, every beating heart, born or unborn, is sacred in the eyes of the Creator. And that a voluntary taking of any of those lives is going to bring judgment from a God who has no shadow of turning one day. I believe that this morning. And if I don't believe these absolutes, then I probably should not be behind your pulpit. I am grateful. I have confidence in your leaders here. I do. In this congregation. But you know, as we feed the flock of God... I believe we need to be very careful to make any apologies for what God's word says. These are absolutes that our forefathers didn't come up with. We just happen to be blessed having a heritage of men in our past that were willing to look at scripture and say this is what it says. And that's where we are today by the grace of God. I believe it's so important that we recognize those absolutes today. I'd like to close looking at the book of Jude. And Jude only has the, the one chapter here. And I'm going to read verses 17 through 23 in the book of Jude. Kind of reminding us that this is, this is kind, of a, kind of a negative, a very, may I say a very negative chapter. But it's also a chapter of warning, of staying on the right track, of preaching what is true, what is honest, and uh, preaching the, what the Word of God really says. It says, But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken 
before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves sensual, notice what it says, having not the spirit. But ye beloved, building up yourselves on the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and of some having compassion, making a difference, and others saved with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. As I mentioned earlier, I do not need to tell you that we are in a smorgasbord of different tainted kinds of gospels today. There is only one true gospel. Satan is doing everything in his power to get his foot on our door and to try to get us to just see things a little different than what it was originally given. I don't claim this morning to understand everything perfectly, but I have brothers in our church that I also trust, that have helped me. And I've been corrected a few times, and I, I'm thankful for that. But you know, I believe we know, we understand enough to walk in that straight and narrow way. Now, I'm not trying to lift us up over other denominations, absolutely not. I know a lot, I have friends and brothers, ministering brothers in a lot of other denominations. They have taught me so much. I've said it this way already at our, at our regional meeting here this year. I've said uh, that there's probably almost most of our Anabaptist uh, denominations, probably every one of them are doing at least one thing, maybe a little better than we are. I, I, I believe that. On the same time, I'm not apologizing for being here with you this morning. I love our people. I love our people at home. And I want to just close here with these last two verses. It says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forever. Amen. Do we believe that this morning? Let's kneel for prayer.